Hi there and welcome. You're listening to Animals and Us, Voices of a New Paradigm. My name is Avantika and I'm a researcher exploring animal consciousness, environmental sustainability, and planetary health. I want to help bring animal perspectives to the table and transform our relationship with the natural world. And I'm Barbara. I'm an animal communicator and retired veterinarian. My true passion is exploring the hearts and souls of animals and helping people come to a much deeper understanding of who the animals truly are at their core. This podcast is for anyone who loves animals and nature and has an interest in their own personal and spiritual development. We'll bring you powerful conversations with fascinating people about animal and nature sentience, consciousness, and communication. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey of love, respect, understanding, and care for the fellow beings who share our beautiful Mother Earth with us. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Animals and Us, Voices of a New Paradigm. So excited today to introduce you to our guest, Kara Daniels. And Kara, we've been wanting to have this conversation for so long, so I'm so happy that we finally get to do this. Kara is an animal and nature communicator and the founder of Deep Root Connections, which is rooted with an earth and nature-based philosophy where earth, animals, nature, and spirit are all intertwined, alive, and communicating. Kara's done so much, so I'm going to give you quick highlights of her background her academic background, she she's studied wildlife biology and natural resources conflict resolution. She's an outdoor education facilitator for youth. She's an experienced landscaper and wildlife habitat gardener. She also has quite an impressive metaphysical background as an animal communicator, a Reiki master, and she's done training in animal spirit, alchemy, energy healing, and so many more things. Um, and you can find out more about her on her website, deeprootconnections.com, which I'll make sure the link to that is available. But Kara, you have such an incredible background and you offer workshops on peaceful transitions for companion animals. You offer workshops on animal and nature communication, um, getting to know the fairy realm. You offer animal communication sessions, wildlife consultations so many things. So really excited to be here today to just learn more about your background and what what brought you to this point in your life. And Kara, you live in Montana, and you have a hobby farm, and hopefully we'll get to hear about some of your experiences with that part of your life and with that journey. So let's get started. Tell us about how you got to communicating with animals a few years ago. Tell us a little bit about what it was like realizing or learning that this was something that you could do. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to, to talk with you today. My journey into learning animal communication was kind of accidental. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, As you mentioned earlier, I have a background in biology and wildlife, and I was really fixated that that was my path. I wanted to do wildlife rehabilitation and work in the field, but it just wasn't really working. I didn't mesh well. And I just kept thinking there's got to be something else that I'm supposed to be doing. So 
after about 10 years of kind of trying to navigate that career field, I decided to take a step back and just kind of reevaluate what I was doing with my life. I, I knew I was supposed to be doing something. I just didn't really know what. So I took a job at a golf course, pulling weeds, doing landscaping. And it was so wonderful because I just could spend hours by myself in the beautiful mountains and just kind of be. And so it was really healing in that regard. But before I took that job, I just said kind of to myself, to the universe, you know, just I'm ready to change gears. I don't know where I'm supposed to go or what I'm supposed to be doing. So just let me know. (laughs) However, that's going to come to be just like, I'm ready to receive it. And about two weeks later, one of my coworkers said, I have this stray cat. She randomly appeared and I don't know what to do with her. I can't take care of her. She seems quite lovely. What do I do? And as somebody who's always into rescue, I was like, of course, if you can trap her, bring her to me. I'll happily help you. Well, he did. And when I got her home, she was so fat. (laughs) She was extremely pregnant. And I thought, I can't just take you to a rescue or rehome you right now. I I feel like you're due tomorrow. So I took her to the vet who also confirmed or thought maybe she's due within the next week or two. So I said, okay, I guess you're going to be mine until you have your kittens and we'll reevaluate. Well, the two weeks turned into a few months. She was apparently only halfway through her pregnancy when she came into my life. And so I got to know her really well. But part of the relationship was kind of weird for me because normally when an animal comes into my life, it's really easy for me to give them a name. But with her, I would look at her and it was like I was blocked. I couldn't come up with a name. Nothing was inspiring. And it's just like no thoughts would enter my mind, which is really weird. I thought that was kind of strange, but I didn't press it because I was like, I can't keep you anyways. No big deal. Well, she had her kittens. And I'm just sitting with her one day out. We I had her enclosed in my chicken coop, actually. So we were out under the forest canopy, just in the wind. And while I was watching all of the kittens, it was really calm and just kind of like a really peaceful moment. And I looked at her and she zeroed in on me with her big green eyes, like she was looking through my soul. <laughs> and, and I asked her in my mind, what is your name? And immediately it was like, I heard her voice in my mind as plain as day. It was extremely loud and it was in her voice. So I knew it wasn't mine. And she said, Samantha. And then I heard all these tiny little voices kind of coming in on both sides of my ears and in my awareness, these little other names and tiny kitten voices. And so all of the little kittens were chiming in too. And I thought, okay, cool. (laughs) At first it was just like, okay, no big deal. And then I sat there with it for a little while. And I was like, wait, that actually just happened. How do I do that again? And that kind of pushed the boulder over the cliff, if you will, into my journey into learning more about animal communication and studying and deep diving and learning as much as I could. Wow. I had like goosebumps while you were telling that story um, the whole time. And I really... It, it, it feels so similar um, with me because I was also at a point in my life where I was like, okay, hey, 
very similar. I was like, I'm ready. You know, like, tell me what you want me to know. What am I supposed to do next? And it was like a similar timeline just a couple of weeks after that. It just shows it just showed me the the power of, you know, intention and letting go and being in a place of receiving. Um, and that's that's so exciting. You know, I think that probably happens a lot with people, this kind of like spontaneous communication without even recognizing what it is, where it's coming from. Um, but so glad that you decided to keep pushing and, you know, keep that curiosity to know what was this and how do I, how do I do that again? And so shortly after that, I think you also started communicating with trees or realized that you could, can you tell us a little bit about what, what that's like communicating with trees? Is that similar to communicating with animals or their differences? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's funny because for me, it was like, trees could talk. I, I knew people could communicate with nature. I had heard of people who could before, but of course it was one of those things like, well, I can't do it. Obviously I'm not that talented or, or whatever gifted. But after I started working with the animals, those in spirit actually started prompting me. It's time to go talk to the trees, like go find yourself a tree guide. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm open for whatever. Just you tell me where to go and I'll go. So I took myself on a, just a walk one day out in the mountains with the intention, like if there's a tree out here, just, I don't know how this works, but just, you know, make yourself known to me. And it took about, oh, I think I walked maybe 20 yards before this tree just like almost illuminated on an energetic level. Like I didn't see anything, but I just felt it. It felt like it was calling me in magnetically. So I said, okay, let's just go be by it and sit and see what happens. And the moment that I did, it happened again. It was like all this information started coming into my mind. And again, in a unique voice. And he dropped a pine cone on my head and explained why. And it was like this whole experience. But the thing is, is it was the exact same. The communications with trees I have learned since then are generally exactly the same. There's a lot of different types or like ways they communicate. Same with animals, but it is all energetic. It's all through the set. Like I call it the subtle sensory system. It's you're seeing, you're he hearing, you're feeling on many different levels. So in that capacity, I find that it is the exact same, but it also depends on the individual communicating. So there is a little bit of variable differences there. Yeah. So that must have been an interesting start to this uh, journey for you, getting into animal communication and communicating with trees. So what happened after that? Tell us a little bit about, you know, I, I know you said you started learning. And I think last time we talked, you shared quite a bit about how much you were reading and and learning about all of this. So how did the next few years unfold for you? It really was just kind of personal explorations, you know, what else can communicate? How does this work? What, like where or how does this all kind of fit in with me and people in the greater picture? And so that's kind of what I've been diving into. I've just kind of been communicating with absolutely everything, the wild animals, the trees, the stones, like the stones can communicate with us too. Absolutely. Everything has consciousness. And that's something that has sort of 
unfolded that's unfolded for me in kind of a magical way I never knew that I never expected it and so for all of these different beings to kind of come forward and share messages has been really profound and the wisdom that they hold I'm finding is so relevant in today's world and how to move forward and so they're teaching me how to work with the land and heal the land energetically and physically work with the wild animals to create uh, habitat And yeah, it's just really, we're just kind of in an exploration kind of phase right now. When we, uh, when we initially met Kara, you had told us about this um, experience you were having, you described it like a feedback loop. So you were saying that the trees, and I think it may have been this tree that you mentioned that you initially had the contact with, that the trees were helping you heal in, in many different ways. And then you started working with horses and helping them heal. And the horses were on land that was sad and traumatized. And the horses were helping the the land heal. And that it became this like feedback loop of healing. I, I loved hearing about that. Can you tell us more about what that was like and a little bit more about that feedback loop? Sure. Yeah. So the, you're talking about two different trees here, actually. So the one that healed me was the original the the elder that communicated with me he taught me how trees like pull energy off of people to take the edge off of their sadness or physical pain how we can work with them intentionally to receive healing energy so he taught me that kind of loop how to give and receive just directly with the trees and when i felt comfortable there i called a friend actually and i said hey i just kind of want to experiment here and she had some horses that she wanted some energy work done on cuz she also wanted to learn so i met her at her property and she has this really huge cottonwood tree i think it's like at least 10 feet in diameter just it's huge And so we pulled out one of her elderly horses to kind of do the energy work and go through the motions on what to do and what to expect and how to move the energy through. So we're just sitting there under this beautiful tree working with the energy and having a lovely conversation. Well, when we were finished, my friend and I just started chatting about, you know, what happened, what she felt and experienced. And while we were talking, this tree, this huge cottonwood, started siphoning energy off of both of us. And it it felt like a vacuum, like somebody was vacuuming my aura. And I looked at my friend, I was like, do you feel that? And she's like, yeah, I do. I was like, the tree is taking stuff from us. And I thought, should we be uncomfortable? Like, is this okay? But when it stopped, it was like, oh, we both felt so shiny and so light. It's like, okay, she obviously helped do something. And so I asked her what she was doing. And she said, well, you didn't clean your energy properly after you w- worked with your horse. And I was just trying to help because <laughs> we didn't want you to just leave that in your aura. So she was helping us stay clean and clear, which was absolutely lovely. And so we ended up opening up this conversation with the tree and the horse. And the horse started talking about, well, yeah, my feet were feeling a lot of the heaviness because I was healing the earth. And so kind of going to the whole siphoning of energy, the horse was explaining that she too would actually siphon energy out of the earth, focusing mainly on residual trauma and bring it into her feet. 
And so she was trying to heal the land by pulling the trauma out in the exact same way that the tree was siphoning the energy off of us. Only the intention was different to the, obviously the horse, not the tree. And so it was like all of these little different components were working with the horse to help her relieve her feet because her feet were really tender. And it's like, well, that's why, because you're sitting there pulling all this energy from the land, but you're not getting rid of it. So we were healing the horse and then the tree healed us. And the horse was healing the land. It was like just this beautiful loop of energy transfer and healing. And I still am trying to find out more about it, really. That's so beautiful. I I imagine that, that that's actually happening with all of us every day. All the beings that are here on the planet living together, breathing the same air. You know, all of us are made of energy. Um, all of us have consciousness and that loop is happening constantly every moment. And we're just probably not aware of it or tuned in enough to even know that it's happening or how it's happening. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I, um, when I, the more I work with the animals and the trees and the other nature beings, it's coming through a lot more. The animals are healing the earth. They're healing their people, but the energy sometimes gets stuck and then it comes through as a physical ailment and it gets stuck for whatever reason. But it's like the animals are doing this regularly and it's more and more of them are talking about it in my sessions. And so it's really interesting. This is fascinating, Kara. I love what you're talking about and how we're all healing one another and communicating with one another. And um, my understanding is that you hear different voices, like uh, di- different kinds of voices. That hasn't been the case for me. It's more like my own thoughts. So does each individual animal and tree and rock have its own voice? In my experience, yes. Um, but when I was first starting out, like after Samantha started talking to me, And I really started to deep dive into my studies and learning how to do it. I was kind of in that zone too, where the voices didn't come to me. They were just my own thoughts or it felt like my own thought. And then it was like one day I broke through whatever barrier that was kind of keeping me behind it. And then it's like all the voices came back. So I did go through that kind of transitional phase of just like, where did the voices go? Oh, okay. Now they're back. But for, for me specifically, I know some people are similar and some people don't have the voices, but that's how they present themselves to me for sure. And so the way you described the way the horse is working with the land and the tree is working with the horse and with you and um, for people who aren't well-versed in these things, um, how how does that happen? And can we be more open to working with the trees and working with the animals and, you know, have some kind of a mutual healing society or something where we work together? How could people be more open to that? Yeah, well, I think unintentionally, the energy transfer is happening. Like Avantika said earlier, like when people go out to the forest or put their feet in the stream or the ocean, that energy transfer is there. And But the thing is, you're right, is that it is more of a it needs to be more of a give and take relationship. Like nature and the animals are working on our behalf 
And a lot of people just aren't aware of it, minus maybe they feel better afterwards. To kind of keep that circle complete, we just need to be intentional and show gratitude and say thank you and then offer them energy back in the form of love, truly just filling up your heart with love and sending it out. Um, But if you want to try and have a more personal one-on-one interaction, for example, with a tree is just be intentional. Find a tree that, like I mentioned earlier, kind of magnetically calls you in and touch it and be with it and try to connect to it with your heart and just kind of be in the present moment to exchange kind of with a two-way flow. Yeah, I think the the whole key here is uh, intention mm-hmm. and and that love seems like love is the real key that opens up everything. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, I think so too. Just getting out of our minds and going into our hearts intentionally. I was also going to add. Um, I find for myself that one of the easiest ways to do that is through gratitude, you know, so even if I don't, um, I don't know about the details of all that's happening, all that they're doing for us, just being in a state of gratitude helps me connect and just be grateful and present and acknowledge them for and appreciate them for all that they're doing, things that we know about and things that we don't know about. So that really helps. And so, Kara, you took, I think, a lot of what you were learning about, and I was so fascinated by this. And you have your whole you have your whole story on your website, which was such a pleasure to read. But you took a lot of this, and you wanted to apply some of it to into your home and your garden and rehabilitating the land that your home is on. Can you tell us about how you worked with the the all the species? that were already there and the native wildlife that you were trying to help and bring back and support and how you spoke to the animals you have um, you shared at the symposium earlier this year you shared your stories about how you did this you know you spoke to all all sized creatures all sorts of species from ants to voles to hawks and I'm sure many other many other animals as well Tell us a little bit about how you you were so intentionally, carefully planning what needed to happen and doing that in collaboration uh, with the other animals instead of kind of going in and assuming that you knew what you needed to do. Yeah, it's been a journey with my property. When we when we bought it, it was just covered with so many weeds and to rehabilitate it quickly it's like well what can we do obviously go hand pull them we don't use chemicals or anything like that but I thought this is a really beautiful opportunity to create a a native garden specifically geared towards I mean edible uh, for human consumption also targeted towards the wildlife to help them however they needed support and so I thought well before I make any plans maybe I'll just ask the bees what they want and the birds. Like, I don't know. I'm not terribly familiar with this ecosystem. So why would I just assume what, you know, what the animals here need in my little microhabitat? And so I started interviewing the bumblebees and the hummingbirds. We had some complications with ants that we had to negotiate kind of some stuff through, but um, yeah, really just when I was picking out the plants to, incorporate within the garden, I had some really interesting conversations with the hummingbirds and they said, well, 
we want these kinds of plants because we have to fly so far to find them. And I think they were some kind of pink agastache with this really long tubular flower. And they specifically requested that one and a few others. And I thought, well, I don't even know what those are, but okay, I'll go find them and we'll put them in and see what happens. And the hummingbirds to this day visit those the most out of every other plant in the garden. And the bumblebees, they kind of wanted similar plants to the hummingbirds, but they said, we really need water and bare ground. So they kind of gave me a specific location where they wanted to make their nests and to make sure that I was aware not to cover that up with any uh, mulch or debris or anything like that to keep that open for them. And also to give them like a very specific type of water bowl so they wouldn't drown that their baby, like their worker bees could go in, drink water and, and be okay. You know, a lot of the bowls that I had out beforehand were a little bit too deep. And so they helped me navigate that and correct my error. Um, yeah. And then the ants, like that was all positive. Uh, the ants and voles, for example, were not so forthcoming, if you will. We had an ant issue. They would go in and eat all of the roots of my plants. And so I, I had a lot of loss to the first two years of my garden because it's like, why are the ants eating my roots? And I tried everything natural from cinnamon to garlic. It's like, this isn't working. I'll just ask them to leave <laughs> or what they need to leave. And, and I did. I tuned into the consciousness of the uh, a colony, I guess. I don't know what a group of ants is called, but I was just like, can you please just relocate maybe a little bit outside of my garden because this is my goal here. I want this to be a safe haven, but I can't do that when you're killing my plants. And it was like three days later, there were no ants in my garden anymore. I was like, yes, that is so amazing. And they were totally fine with it. They're like, oh, okay. We didn't know. No big deal. We'll, we'll just find somewhere else. And it was just, it was no problem. The voles, on the other hand, were a little bit more uh, unwilling to communicate and a little bit more distant. They were causing a dangerous situation. I have horses and things like that. And they were just <laughs> destroying this whole area. It's like, well, my partner isn't terribly happy with you here. And if we can't resolve this, he's probably going to take lethal, me lethal measures which I didn't want to do, you know, they're voles. I don't care. It's like, we'll just work around them type of thing. But I, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of power in that situation. So I tuned into the voles and they were not interested in talking. They were like, what do you want human? Basically <laughs> it's like, okay, this is what's going on. And I was just trying to present my case and let them know what was going on. And he was just like, well, why should we move after I had asked them, can you just move outside of the fence? And this bowl was just not, not interested. And I said, okay, well, unfortunately, this is what's going to happen in probably three days. If you're still here, lethal measures are going to be taken. And I was like, you do what you need to do with that. But I don't want to see you hurt. Maybe you can go over to this spot in my garden where nobody's going to bother you. And the first day passed. They were still there. The second day passed, they were still there and I was getting so nervous. I was like, please leave. And the third day they were gone, totally gone. And they literally were right where I had asked them to move to. I was so thankful. <laughs> I love, I love all of those examples, Kara. Um, 
just shows you the power of, you know, these nonviolent, not harmful methods um, that we can take. I think humans, we've become so like fixated with like instant gratification and wanting to do things our way and not even really being aware of the ripple effect of our actions and just knowing that there are these other ways that we can connect with them and ask for what we need and also let them know that we're thinking about their best interest is just something I think all of us could be doing more of and I love how you describe it as like negotiation right (laughs) because um, I guess that's a lot of what you do right is is trying to find that that win-win situation where everyone is happy and healthy and can thrive together Yeah. Yeah. One of my overarching goals with communicating with wildlife is really like coexisting. How can we coexist when there's what people would presume as a confrontation or a conflict? And I've been really trying to hone my skills on what do the wildlife actually need? Why are they causing whatever actions they're doing? You know, what, why are they causing this and how can we as people learn what they're trying to say or what they need and then find a good compromise so both parties are happy. And it's really interesting kind of how to navigating those scenarios with the people and the wild animals. Yeah. And you offer that as like a service too, right? Like these consultations. Can you give us some examples of who, who asks you to step in and where you get called to and what kinds of situations they need your help with? Sure. Um, The most recent one I was working on, well, there's been a few. Some of them are beehives in people's homes. And it's like, well, we don't want to ruin the bees or um, poison them or anything like that. We just want to get them out of the house, like the carpenter bees or whichever ones like dig into the siding of the house and they can't really get removed easily. Those situations present themselves often or an interesting one I had was a scorpion infestation this woman moved into a new house and she's extremely sensitive too. She's like, I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want everybody to like stay outside of my house. We can't have scorpions inside my house. She has pets and kids and, you know, it was becoming a, a very dangerous situation because she found 10 to 30 a day. And she's just like, I don't know what to do. All of my neighbors keep telling me to poison them. And I might have to, if they can't just stay outside. So I communicated with the, uh, he called himself the scorpion king. So he would be this, the spokes animals, spokes scorpion for the group. And I was like, okay, so why are we going inside? What do you need to stay outside? And so it was more just like of an exploratory conversation. And he said, he's like, well, the ecosystem is becoming more dry there's less and less water for us and less and less shade. And so they're going inside because of the air conditioner. It's dark. They can find water. And that like that's why they're being drawn inside. So I was like, okay, what do you need to keep them outside? This is probably what's going to happen if they keep coming inside. They're most likely going to get poisoned or eaten by the dogs or squished. And he said, well... Like, I'll tell everybody what's going to happen if they go in so they know their own, uh, you know, they're taking their life into their own hands with this decision. So they're fully aware. But he requested a, uh, it's kind of hard to explain. He requested to have 
like a scorpion space created where it was fenced off so nobody could come in like the dogs or kids and then with a bunch of logs and a few dishes of water just so they could have their space or somewhere safe that they could be and they wouldn't be in the way. Well, uh, the client never actually did that for them. She got too busy, which is unfortunate. But a few days later, after I had the conversation with them, all of the scorpions left the house and they didn't go back in for about two weeks. So they ended up in her big, beautiful tree that she had. They all just kind of climbed in the tree and they were there. There was no scorpions in the house until a big storm came and they all got blown out and were kind of scattered again and we had to start the process over. But it was really just a matter of like, what do you need? What can we create for you? How can we make this work? And and it did. That is so cool. I just love these stories. It's fantastic. And I know you're interested in wildlife conservation, as I am, as a lot of us are. And um, to know that we can actually work with these animals and help them while helping humans at the same time. I also have spent a little time in Montana and I know, boy, there are all kinds of opinions about these things in Montana. So it must be quite interesting to uh, do your work in that kind of environment. And I'm just wondering, um, have you been involved at all with issues of wolves and bears and, and cougars? And I mean, that's, huge stuff and a lot of controversy around it. I'm just wondering how we could apply what you're doing to those kinds of issues. I have been considering that as well. How can we apply this to the large, larger scheme here? And I haven't, I haven't been brave enough (laughs) to actually, you know, put myself out there in that capacity here, but I would love to love to reduce the human wildlife conflict with bears. And um, we have so many more grizzly bears kind of creeping down into the valley that I live in. And it's, and we have so many black bears and I have such a soft spot for, for the bears. So it's like, if we could just work together and at least talk to the bears that are causing problems and let them know, you know, what their choices could result in. And I, yeah. So if anybody's listening and they have a bear problem or anything like that, please feel free to call me. (laughs) Yeah, I think we need to create awareness about the fact that there are folks who can communicate um, effectively, successfully with animals, and not just animals, but with trees as well, and that we can really leverage that to do things better. And I wanted to ask you, Kara, like, in an ideal world, you know, if like, maybe we can fast forward a few years, or maybe a decade or two, like, if you could wave a magic wand and have this ability to communicate with animals, be seen and acknowledged and have this awareness worldwide about it, like what would you, what would you want to see from that kind of world? How would you want to see this being applied or utilized? Oh, that's such a big question. I, how do I want to answer that? (laughs) I mean, I feel like if this were to be more mainstream and more widely accepted, we could truly lean into communicating with the animals and the nature beings to see what the ecosystems actually need. They know more about the ecosystem, the history of it, and 
most likely what is going to happen in the future. It's like, well, how can we learn from you? What can we do and move forward together, right? I think if I could wave a magic wand, the voices of the wild would be sitting at the round table when decisions are being made on their behalf. Yeah, that's definitely the end goal, I think. We'd love to see that happen, especially I think for me, it was like, once I knew that this was a possibility and that we could do this, we had this ability and this capability to communicate and connect with the natural world in this way, I felt a sense of responsibility then too. It's like, if we can ask some questions and if we can receive information, then we have a moral obligation and responsibility to use that information well and wisely for sure. Yeah, I felt the same way. Once I realized that we could communicate with all animals, wild and domestic, and the trees, it's like, well, what kind of information can we, you know, talk about and exchange and how can we help each other? And it's just like, now that this is a thing that can happen, we need to bring their voices to the table, whether it's accepted or not, like somebody has to advocate for them. Yeah, I've had a, a, a vision for a, a long time of doing something similar to a council of all beings. Do you know about that? Where years ago, um, not that long ago, but people would sit in a circle and and be a voice for different aspects of the of, of the wild world, either trees or mountains or animals, and they would all have a council. And I've had this idea, this vision for a long time of getting a group of people together, sitting in circle like that, and speaking, um, each person representing a diff different aspect of the natural world, and just um, having a powwow where we could communicate and come to some um, understandings and some suggestions of what could be done, you know, to, to harmonize the natural world and the animals and all of us in it. So maybe that's something we can talk about in the future. Mm, I love that idea. I got goosebumps all over. <laughs> <laughs> It's certainly possible, and there are enough people now that are open to these things and learning about these things that I think it's really possible to include those voices in in big decisions that need to be that need to be made. So, thank you, thank you, thank you for for the work you're doing and bringing in these voices that so need to be heard. Thank you. It's not always easy being the voice of the unseen world or the, what most people think is unconscious. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Kara, like, have you had challenges voicing the opinions of the beings that you connect with? And have you faced any pushback or any, uh, any, anything like that, you know, when you're out there letting people know what you can do and what the animals are sharing? Yeah, it's kind of a, there's two parts to this. I have my own insecurities still sometimes, but some of the messages I receive, I hold very close to me because, I, you know, I'm judging how this might be perceived. And so I have a lot of messages that I don't share with the world because of fear of 
whatever, however they could be received. Um, and I'm still working through that. So I do hold a little bit of fear still on sharing some of the messages that come forward. And I definitely reach a broad enough population where a lot of people think I'm totally insane and I need to be institutionalized. And that was really hard at first. Um, it took me many years to actually step forward and feel confident enough to kind of receive those negative comments. But, you know, now I just, I don't really care. <laughs> if somebody's going to think I'm crazy because I talked to an animal or a tree, you know, that's not my problem. So I had a lot of fear that I needed to personally work through in order to kind of make myself known and share the voices of the wild. So th yeah, it, there's been pushback on some front from the people I reach and my my own self, but the people that get it or are curious, you know, there's only a handful here and there that kind of come my way and ask questions, but it's like, those are the people that I'm trying to reach because I know that they have had experiences. And so even with all the negative comments, even with all the, the fear that I sometimes harbor, it's like, we're still touching people that are curious and and helping them understand the experiences that they have. So it's worth it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for what you do. I, I know I follow you on Instagram, for example, and, and there's so many things that you shared that I'm like just sharing as well, because sharing with other people with the same intention that, you know, if there's somebody who watches this, who gets it, I want them to know that this is out there. And, uh, I have found that when I talk to people more often than not, they've had experiences and they're like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. You know, it's not everybody. It's not everyone. But I think it's so important to have those conversations and open up that space for dialogue. Um, just as an example, when I started talking to one of my uncles about this, he was so curious. He's like, what, what are you doing? What are you working on? And when I shared this with him, he told me that, yeah, I, I talk to the plants every day when I water them and they talk to me and they tell me things. And I was just so happy to hear that and so happy that he had a place to share that because I don't know how often he has shared that with people in his life. And I wanted him to know that I believed him and that it was possible and he should keep doing it and he should keep telling me what they're saying. And so I think that there's like a ripple effect in you sharing and and showing up so authentically and sincerely even if people don't reach out to you I think your your message is registering hopefully somewhere in their minds and hopefully they'll hear about it again or they'll have an experience and I think that's how we move towards creating this awareness yeah I think so too yeah I just I love how you shared that space with your uncle I <laughs> I started a TikTok account on a whim because this was when I was still really scared of saying that I could talk to trees. And so I said, I'll just open an account there. Nobody knows me. It's all good. And the support that came flooding in was absolutely astounding. And people basically were just saying, yeah, I've had experiences too. Like, let's have these conversations. And the response was so overwhelming that I was like, oh my gosh, there are so many people out here that do this already and they have their entire lives, but they don't talk about it. And so it's like, we need to talk about it. We need to 
be loud and share this with the world because there are so many people out there that do this, whether they know it or not. And it's like, we we need to basically link arms and just tell the world, this is a thing that can happen. Like, look at all of these people around the world that are already doing it. Yeah, I'm so glad, Kara, that you're talking about this because um, I've gone through it too. You know, I started doing this 30 years ago and people thought I was a total nutcase. And, um, and I stayed hidden for a long time in a lot of ways. But the cool thing is that, like you said, your, your experience on TikTok and, and Avantika with her uncle, people are becoming more and more open to this, that it's for real. And I think it's stories like yours where you actually saw results from your communication. So there's, there's actual evidence you know, that this works. It might be one story here and another story there, but that's what's going to um, help people realize that this stuff is for real and is important. So I'm just really, really glad that this is coming up now and that you don't care. And I'm starting to not care what people think. And it's taken a long time. So, and even so, there's still fear that comes up because I think maybe in other lifetimes we've been ostracized, tortured, killed, whatever for speaking up like this, but these times are different and it's time. So I completely agree. Well, and thank you too. I mean, you are definitely a way shower standing in your space as well. And that's just what we need right now is just people to, get through that fear. And I know what that feels like. I I can feel like a bubble in my throat when I want to say something that is my truth. I It gets blocked regularly and I have to be conscientious of that and work through it. And it's like, no, this needs to come out. I can't be scared anymore. And I meet so many people that feel the exact same way. And that's why I think it's important to talk. About. I mean, here I've been doing this for a while and I'm just starting to come out and speak in public a little bit now again and I can feel I don't feel it in my throat as much as my gut I can really feel it in my gut it's that like that fear that you're gonna be killed for what you're doing you know Mm -hmm. it's pretty intense but um but we've got we've got companions on the path now and uh that's really great Yeah, I think community right now is really important for people to just have somebody to talk to and share experiences with and kind of keep each other motivated and keep each other going. And it's so easy to fall into the trap of fear. And so it's like, okay, you can keep going. If I can do it, you can do it. And it's like, we all just have to hold each other up right now. Yeah, exactly. And and like you described, I've had experiences over the years where people would um, kind of quietly and whispering and secretively tell me about their experiences with animals that they couldn't share, especially people in the scientific community or in academia in times past, at least. They couldn't share these things and they would just all get bottled up inside. So I think it's real important to have some outlet for these feelings and for talking about these things that are becoming a little more open now. I agree. Coming from a scientific background, 
It is definitely hard to have experiences and not share with anybody because they will just not understand it. And then you automatically get discredited. And it's, it's really a shame that we can't just bridge that gap. I was going to ask you, Kara, you know, you've, you've done um, like your educational background is so impressive and you've done so much. And I think you've described yourself as like your life has always been about nature from a young age. You've had love and reverence for the animals and for the natural world. And your life has always been about this. And you tried to find your way through all of that in school and through the jobs that you've had. So I'd love to know, you know, now having realized that you can you have this ability and and you've learned how to communicate with animals how how has that impacted you personally has that changed anything for you has it helped you learn more um and and also you know thinking about other folks out there who might be in similar backgrounds and similar fields of study and fields of work what has learning about animal communication and communication with the natural world done for you that it could do for them too? Yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's changed the way I perceive the natural world a whole lot, because to me, I feel like I was always kind of communicating and I always felt such a deep respect for every living thing that was kind of unexplainable and understandable, but to go through the scientific studies and kind of be pushed in one direction. It is really hard, but I do feel like after going through all of that and then finding my way into where I am now, it's an opportunity. It actually really motivates me to just keep going and get people to understand that this is a possibility and that we need to be bringing in the wild voices, even in research and you know, maybe we don't have to actually kill the specimens to do a population study. I mean, that's something that I participated in and it crushed me. And it's like, we can do this better. And so if anything, it's just motivated me to bring compassion forward in all capacities, much deeper than I have harbored before. And then to help other people navigate that. It's like, we don't have to do it this way. We can, we can do this another way. Let's just give it a try. And And I think we just have to question, you know, question the way things are currently. And if it doesn't feel right to us, try to find another way and listen to your intuition and listen to your heart and let that lead the way. Yeah, thank you so much. I think so much of this journey for all of us is probably about unlearning and relearning and really breaking down some of that conditioning that I think is so strong from the moment we enter this world. And things that we just accept as truths in our lives because other people teach them to us. Um, And so much of this for me personally has been about questioning, like you said, all of that and wondering if there are better ways to do things and why we can't try them. So yeah, thank you for sharing that with us. If for people who are listening and who might be curious, who might be interested in giving this a try, or maybe doing things differently in their homes, in the land that their homes are on, um, who who might want to live more consciously and be more aware of how they're showing up in their environments. Do you have any advice, anything you want to share with them? Yeah, there's a few things. I think for somebody that's just 
kind of curious, looking in, but not sure. Uh, I think the first thing to really learn is I call it the subtle sensory system. It's how all of the different beings and nature and animals communicate with us. If you just have a basic foundational understanding of how they communicate, how the messages come in without formally studying it, just kind of giving yourself an awareness and then being cognizant of that potential when you're interacting with nature or your animals, I think that is key. A lot of people don't know how animals and trees and nature communicates with us through our physical body. And, and they do, I mean, I am lucky I get words, but most people don't. And so I would say, just learn the foundations of how these different beings are communicating with us and our physical body, and then finding a way back into our body and being in the present moment. I think those are kind of the two things that are most debilitating for people just starting. It's like, you got to get out of your head. You have to be in the present moment and then just kind of be consciously aware of your surroundings and what's going on within your body. That's kind of going to open up the gateway. Now, if you want to formally, if you're like me and you need proof that it's happening, you're just like, I got to know if I'm doing this right type of thing because that's how I am. I need step one, step two, step three, and then I'm going to practice. And then I need somebody to be able to say yes or no, you're right. (laughs) If you're kind of like that, then I would recommend actually taking an animal communication course or join a practice group where you can actually get feedback from pet parents and the verification that you need that the information coming to you is accurate or and that you can do it. And then you can really get to know how things come through in your body and kind of expand from there. So, and this is my background too, where it's just like, I started with animal communication. I needed to have the verification to be able to move forward into working with nature. So I'm a little biased there, (laughs) but, but you can have proof when you work with domestic animals and their pet parents. So I don't know. I hope that kind of gives somebody at least a beginning or pathway to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I had a conversation just recently um, with someone about how important it is to approach all of this from a state of curiosity and wonderment and just really not putting pressure on ourselves and also having expectations of the beings that we want to communicate with and just going into it like we're learning something new and let's see what happens. Like I personally find it all very magical and very exciting and um but I know the importance of that validation as well. And I think all of us, no matter what part of our journey we're on, um, if you're new to this or like Barbara, you've been doing this for so many decades that that need for that validation is always, I think, important, um, especially when we want to help the beings that we are talking to and communicate effectively what they're what they really need. So thank you so much, Kara, for everything you've shared with us today. It was so fun hearing more about your journey and the process for you and all the different ways in which you apply this uh, gift and this this new thing that you've learned a few years ago. It's It's always exciting to hear how people use their ability to communicate with animals and with the natural world in different ways. And that there's so many possibilities, right, that can come from this. And that's one of the reasons why I was initially intrigued in this. I was, I think my brain, as soon as I realized 
and and even thought about the possibility that we could communicate with the natural world my brain was just exploding with like we could do this that means we could do this and that and there's so many things that can come out of this um and you've shared with us very specific examples of how you've you've used this so beautifully in the environment that you live in um so thank you so much yeah, for thank you. chatting with us today Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to connect with you two again. And I just want to thank you too. Um, I'm getting kind of emotional here, Terry, because, you know, when I started, those of us who've been doing it for a while, we were not the original pioneers. There were people before us that had really been the pioneers, but we were kind of stepping up another level. And, and you and Avantika, I've told you this, you're like you're like the next generation of this and the way you're doing it Kara and the voices you're hearing and the way you're able to use this information to help the earth and the animals and the plants it's just so beautiful and I'm really touched so thank you and keep going yeah Thank you so much, Barbara. You keep going yourself too. We can give each other support when that fear strikes. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. And Kara, we were so, I was so overjoyed. Like we were so happy when you connected with us because like we talked about a little bit before how important community is and uh, just having these conversations, I think just fills up our hearts. Um, I can speak on Barbara's behalf, I think both of us just feel so excited walking away from every conversation because it just means that there are others like us out there who believe in this and and um, our voices will hopefully get stronger and louder and more people will come on board. So Kara, tell, tell our audience how they can find you if they're interested in learning more about what you do. Sure. So my website is deeprootconnections.com. And I am kind of on social media. I would say the best place to find me would be on Instagram, which is at Deep Root Connections. Um, or just send me an email, deeprootconnections at it's Gmail right now. So deeprootconnections at gmail.com. Perfect. And we'll make sure that all of that is up there um, on our podcast page, on the episode page, so people can find you if they're looking for you. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing so openly and honestly. And we had a wonderful time hearing all about the work that you do. And if you enjoyed our episode today, we encourage you to review the podcast, like the episode and share it with others. And before we go, we'd like to share a brief blessing for the animals. We'd like to end this podcast by taking just a moment to be quiet. And we give thanks and blessings to these amazing animals that we share our lives with. They give us so much and ask for so little in return. We hope that you can keep the animals and all living beings in your heart and in your mind as you go about your day. Thank you so much for being here with us today. <laughs>